0: What's up, guys? It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. The Oscars are only two weeks away, and the Big Picture is breaking down everything you need to know leading up to the show. Hosts Sean Fennessy and Amanda Dobbins take you through the favorites, snubs, and dark horse picks from this year's slate of movies. Tune in to the Big Picture on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey guys, what's up? This is Chris. We were just, you know, recording The Watch today. I talked to Andy a couple hours ago during our recording session and Andy and I were kind of casually talking about Kenobi, uh, to the Obi-Wan Kenobi show that was supposed to be on the Plus from Star Wars and starring Ewan McGregor, directed by Deborah Chow, written by Hossein Amini, who is the uh, writer of Drive um, and is a very acclaimed screenwriter. And we were just kind of banding it around because there had been some rumors a couple of weeks ago that the show is in somehow in peril, that either you and McGregor had left or that there were creative differences on the show. And those rumors had been somewhat shot down, although not necessarily officially shot down. But Andy and I were talking about this on the podcast today as if that seemed to have blown over and Obi-Wan was going to come, uh, Kenobi was going to happen probably 2020, if not 2021 on Disney+. And then as we were sort of wrapping up the pod today... Hollywood Reporter released a story, and I'll just kind of quote a little bit of it here, that Disney Plus and Lucasfilm Star Wars series centered on Obi-Wan Kenobi has been put on hold as the company's attempt a retooling, multiple sources told Hollywood Reporter. You read on, it sounds like they still want Ewan McGregor and Deborah Chow to be part of this project. Deborah Chow obviously coming off an incredible heater from her work on Mandalorian, directing some of that series' best episodes to date. So if you read down into this Hollywood Reporter piece, it sounds like the problem is with the scripts. Two had been completed. They started to get concerned about the creative direction of the show and apparently its similarities to The Mandalorian because the uh, Kenobi show was rumored to be about Obi-Wan looking over a young Luke um, in some ways and that, that there was going to be kind of a older sort of samurai Jedi Knight figure who had like, I guess, baby Luke who, to be honest, baby Luke's working from a very huge disadvantage because he's not going to be as cute as baby Yoda. In any case... They've decided that there was some similarities or they didn't like the way things were going, so they are going to stop down and retool and hope to still retain some of the other core people. I would have to imagine that Hossein Amini is not going to be part of the project going forward, but it doesn't necessarily state that explicitly. This is kind of another foul ball, I guess, if you're being generous for Lucasfilm. Obviously, The Mandalorian was a critical, and I would have to imagine, commercial success given the fact that it was the flagship release of a of a streaming service that is very, very popular. Obviously, there's a lot of library and kids programming and Marvel stuff and Pixar stuff on there, but Mandalorian is the thing that got most attention. And so whatever was wrong with The Rise of Skywalker and, you know, that movie still made a ton of money, it just obviously I don't think is going to live on in the hearts and minds of Star Wars fans for decades to come. This is an unfortunate uh, occurrence to happen after that because... Star Wars lives on Front Street. Like, all the stuff that might happen to other movies and other television shows behind the scenes seems to be in front of the scenes for Star Wars. And, you know, obviously, the rise of Skywalker went through a director change with Colin Trevorrow turning it over to J.J. J. Abrams. There were script rewrites. There were behind-the-scenes things that are kind of talked about. There was a... A couple of weeks ago, it was leaked about what Colin Trevorrow's script would have been about or was about and how it was different from what Rise of Skywalker wound up being. And now we get to this point where a show that I think a lot of people are really excited about because not only does it feature a canonical beloved, maybe one of the most beloved non-Skywalker characters is put on hold. And I think people are really, really, really excited for this show. So hopefully they get it together because I think Ewan McGregor is a great Obi-Wan and I think Deborah Chow is a great filmmaker. Uh, it's too bad that they were like, oh, turns out this is too much like The Mandalorian. I'm sure that will be refuted in some shape or form. But I just wanted to give you guys a quick update and just my thoughts on the matter before we got into the show because Greenwald and I obviously discussed it without knowing that it had been put on hold. So uh, let's get into today's episode of The Watch and thanks for your time. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now Hello and welcome to the Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me on the other line from an entirely new parking lot, it's Andy Greenwald. Guys, how does it sound, Kai? What do you think of the acoustics
2: here? You know, it's very different. There's a wall of foliage next to me. I don't want to like give you a geotag, but I'm, well, I'm in Burbank, <laughs> so clearly it's a different microclimate than what you guys are
1: used to. Yeah, Kai, how's the, how are the acoustics?
0: Sounds great, I think the wall of foliage is uh doing wonders for you.
1: It's a natural uh, sound Chris, barrier, it, yeah, exactly it's, it,
2: Chris we we got stuff to talk about, but two bits of business and we could from from my end
1: oh sure, the
2: parking lot end, and we can do them whatever order you want. Maybe the first one is to say that we forgot to mention something on Monday. We sure did. We're doing a live show on Tuesday in Los Angeles, and I imagine people can still. RSVP for tickets, right?
1: Yeah, it's at the Noya House on uh Tuesday, uh in, in Hollywood. Very close Tuesday, to This
2: is Tuesday, January twenty eighth.
1: Yes. And it's uh very close to the ringer offices and uh we'll be showing a the first episode of Briar Patch, a show that you know, I, I, I can't say that I ghostwrote it contractually, but like maybe I, I I had some creative input on. Um Andy from from, from what I
2: understand, <laughs> Briar Patch narrowly missed Chris's list of most anticipated shows for 2020. So you're hoping we have an opportunity.
1: You act like you don't listen. And then you do (laughs) listen only for the things that you perceive as slights.
2: No, no, you you mischaracterize this. I do not listen to this podcast. What I do do is obsessively search Facebook group posts for things that drag you. And that (laughs) I read. (laughs) So I know that I was not included on your list, but we're going to be showing the show. First episode of the show we're going to have some special guests including uh watch favorite Sam Esmail will be there and some members of the cast and it's going to be a really really special and good time like we're not really doing premiere events so a lot of the people who made Maybe I don't show think we've ever well. actually done
1: a live show as the watch. Is that true? Yeah, I think all the stuff we've done live quote unquote is is or not quote unquote. All the live stuff we've done is Thrones. Wow. We were in the pocket of Big Benioff for so long that we've lost <laughs> We've lost the sight of what's really important in this world.
2: In a way, I feel like we did a series of like prelim live episodes of The Watch at Great Lakes, the bar on Fifth Avenue and Park Slope. like Rest in, in the peace, early 2000s. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That place closed, right? It's gone. It's
2: gone. Yeah. All of our youth is gone. <laughs> but we're going to do this, and it's really exciting. And so we ha- we've tweeted the information. You can go to the USA Network website uh to register it's a free event there'll be free valet you just have to have rcp to guarantee yourself a seat from what i understand it's not like first come first serve they will not give you the R S V P if they are full yeah so if you have been re- replied to you should be able to get in and we will be excited to see you
1: and i would love to say that kaya is going to be there i think what really is more likely to happen is that she'll be driving down sunset on cruise control so we'll <laughs> see her as she, as she is driving at 36 miles per hour exactly yes <laughs> and then maybe and on the way, way back
2: the- when people say, like, Chris, you've changed since you moved to L.A., I don't think it's generally true. The the first thing you said about our live event was that it was convenient to your <laughs> office. <laughs> That's the most L.A. thing about all of this.
1: Yeah, I've been getting, um, I've been really getting, uh, people have really been hitting the reply button on me on the cruise control thing. Uh, <laughs> look, I, I guess it's cool that people use it in the middle of the country. It just seems like one of those things that they add to cars where it's like, Part of driving is just being responsible for how fast you're going.
2: Wow, Chris. Shots fired. (laughs) All of our Wisconsin listeners are just shaking their heads in disgust. Maybe they're gesticulating with their hands like an old Italian Nona because they don't have their hands on the wheel because they're cruise controlling. I'm taking on the
1: ethanol lobby like I'm Tom Wilkinson and Michael Clayton or something. Uh, Did you have another piece of business you wanted to discuss? I did. I just wanted to let people, like,
2: since we are talking about the show a little bit and I'm in a different parking lot. We've entered this super weird phase of post-production where the episodes are kind of mostly done. They're all locked except for the finale, picture locked. So we're not really picture editing anymore. But we're doing things that are like the level of minutia is so wild where today I was with good friend of the, of the podcast and Briar patch star Jay Ferguson doing some ADR recording of dialogue and then came over here to Burbank for uh, not color correction because our brilliant DP has color corrected the episodes, uh, Zach Galler. I'm (laughs) reviewing his work. So now I'm sitting in a dark theater watching my TV show with the sound off holding a laser pointer being like, is that cheese really popping? Maybe a little (laughs) more orange in that. (laughs) So that's cool. And then the rest of the time we're mixing the audio on the stage. So that's almost all, all sound design and, being reminded, oh, I never picked an alt for the Chinese restaurant in episode 105. So part of me believes that this is all a plot by big basic cable to just keep me feeling busy so I'm not freaking out. Oh, know just giving mean? you like, maybe like all tasks that are
1: essentially just like meaningless.
2: Maybe all these decisions have already been made.
1: I you know see. what I mean? Yeah. Like
2: it, it's, <laughs> it's possible. But uh, this is I you know I, I like to I like to show you guys how the sausage is made and this is the least Glamorous part of the sausage.
1: I imagine it's also pretty like now. Now you're just like on pins and needles, waiting for people to start to start seeing this, right?
2: Um, that's <laughs> cool. We don't need to see it. I'm fine. I'm pretty process process oriented. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. Just like they, 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 they call me the Sam Hinky of Universal. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm I am really excited for people to see it. Like one of the really nice things about, and I joke about how long this has been going on because. You know, we filmed the pilot, which will air two weeks from tonight. We filmed it in September of 2018. Um, The amount of time and space is actually an incredible gift because then we were on the mix stage watching episodes three and four for the first time all the way through in quite some time. I was like, "That's pretty good." Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of the a lot of the, the stress has 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 melted away. So no, I'm very excited, and and I and let me just bring it full circle to say again, I'm so excited that we'll get to share the first episode with podcast listeners because. You guys, you guys lift me up. So that's I right. think it's going to be really fun.
1: While they drag me down, they lift you up. Uh, <laughs> that's that's why
2: the dynamic is working for me.
1: <laughs> Andy, uh, you know, we, we did such a good job of mm-hmm. surveying the current TV moment on Monday's pod.
2: We did. That we kind of are
1: like <laughs> out of shows to talk about. So we have to talk about shows that are coming. I mean, like I could talk... We we yeah you know, we should we should I guess talk about Picard because that's the one that you I seem you really have your <laughs> antennas up in the air about this. I, do you even have CBS All Access? I don't. Okay.
2: <laughs> I want to tell you something. Just you and my hundred thousand closest friends and Facebook commenters.
1: I might fuck around and get it today. Yeah, dog. Do it.
2: I mean, I I got to be honest with everybody. Like I know. Look, we all we all have bits that we
1: do. Because then you can also get that Bob loves another. Abishola going. You know what I mean? You can get you can get mom going.
2: <laughs> what about can I get like first access to evil reruns? Like <laughs> there's a lot going on for me. Evil's supposed to be good. Uh, I know. I also want to say I have never felt that CBS as a brand restricted its access. You know what I mean? Like I've never tuned in to Everybody Loves Raymond. Well I can stop there. But had I, I've never tuned into Everybody Loves Raymond and was like Feel like they're holding out on me. I want more access. Right. It's a weirdly named service. Here's what I want to say to you, Chris. We all do bits. We all have characters and like roles we play, particularly on a podcast. And I know that sometimes you know old, old, grumpy Steve over here like isn't so into fanboy culture. Doesn't get excited about stuff anymore. He's jaded. I, I really want to watch Star Trek: Picard. I just really want to watch it. And I think I was in like some level of like like seen it all denial that it's, but those posters and then the reviews embargo broke today and people were really into it. But I, I, yes, I think it's going to be good. Yes. I'm very impressed by the imprimatur of the, everything involved, everyone involved, Michael Shabon, the great American novelist, the showrunner of the show. Mm -hmm. But look, man, I just want to watch it because Chris, I'm a Picard
1: guy. So I I can be honest with you. I got to tell you that next gen, I've never really been like that big of a star Trek guy. And I don't mean that pejoratively at all. It's just like, it, I, I kind of like, I think Next Generation was kind of big when I was like, I was kind of like, you know, honestly, a three-sport athlete, uh, just doing I, a lot I knew, I knew, socially. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying Chris, to choose between wearing, baseball and competitive Chris is wearing, swimming.
2: Chris was wearing cleats and cruise controlling all around <laughs> West Philadelphia. <laughs>
1: When was peak Star Trek Next Gen? When was that like when was it on? Like it was like 87 to
2: 94. Come
1: on, that's like my peak, so, dude. You can't say that. Like I I can't be responsible to watch Star Trek Next Generation then.
2: That's that's true. When you were 10, you definitely had a lot of better things to do. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. I I am one of those people that I watched Next Gen before the original. And I was super into it. It's really good. So that generationally kind of was my star trek and i'd like to think that even then i knew that patrick stewart was way too good to be a part of the show and elevated everything about it mm-hmm. and what's kind of exciting is that for a, his performance in star trek and then you know in other star trek movies and projects that i've enjoyed and i've enjoyed a lot of them but like christopher plummer in star trek 6 you know is just just owning the screen and and hamming it up and selling all this stuff under klingon makeup is that the secret sauce was that they cast really talented stage actors in, you know, I don't want to call, I don't want to belittle it, but they were budget limited, let's say, Mm -hmm. certainly when they were making 24 episodes of those a year, and they elevated the material. And so the conceit behind the show that's so cool is it appears that they were like, well, now we can elevate the material to suit the actor and build it around, I don't think it's arguable to say the best actor who's ever been a part of this franchise, right? I, as someone who loved the character, and I'm just going to be honest with you guys, from this parking lot in Burbank, I loved the stuff when he was just like on his brother's vineyard in France. I was like, this combines many of my interests.
1: What's his brother's name?
2: Bernard or something, I don't know. That's right. No, it's just like that this show seems to be using that as a starting place. And
1: I'm,
2: I'm just into it. It just seems fun. And I am very eager to watch something entertaining and fun.
1: Do you remember where Star Trek Next Generation like left off? yeah do you want to tell the listeners I mean,
2: uh, between a loving poker and a loving poker match on whatever deck between our characters and then then there were the
1: movies oh right okay
2: but like and the, the they, last
1: they took care the of the board though right they took care of that thing
2: yeah that problem solved now they, they that, that's fine okay that's fine that, that's not like a bad rash that will come back for sure no the um, the last movie was nemesis. Where Patrick Stewart squared off against his doppelganger who was young Tom Hardy. Oh back in his God. like leather rent boy right. photo days. Yeah. You're not you're not as you're more dubious about this show than I am.
1: No, you know, I mean, look, this is uh I, I really am interested in what they're doing with the Star Trek as a franchise by like chopping it up into verticals basically to not to use like mm-hmm. corporate editorial speak, but by basically allowing each one of these shows to have a different feel and playing around with crossover, it almost feels like a hybrid of blockbuster franchise filmmaking along with the kind of high-volume stuff that the CW is doing with the DC characters. So right. I'll be curious to see... I'm obviously going to watch this. I think it's really interesting that Michael Chabon's show showrunning a Star yeah. Trek thing. I have to watch it as a 2020 yeah. citizen. I'll be curious to see uh, specifically like if you're going to sign up somebody like Patrick Stewart, how unlimited or limited it feels and how serialized it feels or episodic it feels because, as you know, this has been in the works for a while and over the course of time in between when they announced Picard and when now it's mm-hmm. actually debuting, I almost feel like people have sort of started to orient themselves more towards like a Mandalorian-style storytelling where it is Adventure of the Week, which should suit Star Trek's storytelling powers best you know star trek is best when it's doing adventure of the week with a slight overarching narrative right well what if
2: i told you that's not at all what this is doing
1: oh <laughs> and it,
2: in fact maybe totally out of step with time because this is pure serialized he starts in one place some stuff happens and week to week the thing builds into something else
1: okay this so we're not, not gonna do like him, i had to stop along the way and fix this problem for another planet
2: i don't think so and i, and I think. So it's interesting. You're right that it, it, the review in the Times today, which was a, a really good summation of sort of where it is and the world is being birthed into basically was saying that this is Star Trek's first play as a prestige TV show on that serialized model. But it, it, what's also interesting about it, cause you were talking about it in relation to the Mandalorian and the way that, that um, a lot of these bigger brands are, are you're right, like chopping themselves up. We thought the Marvel model would be the model, but the Marvel model is so hard to replicate. And so The DC model that seemed so chaotic at first now seems to be working just fine for them, where there are three flashes. Sometimes they cross over on TV, or sometimes they don't. This is the rare thing where my interest in Patrick Stewart playing the card far outstrips my interest in a Star Trek show. Yeah, You know, I've heard great things about Discovery. I like the cast a lot. I haven't watched it, because as previously discussed, I do not require all access to PBS, but also, I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm fine. I don't need more Star Trek in my life right now, but I do want more of this. And I wonder if that's a similar calculation or conversation we'll be having when the Ewan McGregor-Obi-Wan Kenobi show comes back. Exactly. Or comes back, uh, debuts.
1: There was that crazy story like a week ago about whether or not that was actually going to happen or if, or if Ewan McGregor had walked away from that show. I, I don't think that that, I don't know that that ever got corroborated, but during, there was like that weird rash of stories that, that that show had been, was somehow in jeopardy over creative differences. Have you seen anything following up that?
2: No, and in fact, I realized, as I said it, I don't even, has it ever officially been confirmed? Or is it yeah, just a, I think like, so. I think it's Ewan McGregor about.
1: is doing it, and uh, Hussein Am- Amini, who wrote Drive, is is writing it, and Deborah Chow is directing <laughs> it. So it's like, of course, yeah, I'm really excited about it. But you know, it's funny that you we even say this, because I feel like right now is like this very weird time where I things will either get announced, sometimes they'll even have trailers, sometimes they even have release dates or have been released. And I can't quite believe that they're actually happening. Like, there was a movie two weeks ago called The Informer, which Sean Fantasy and I were like, they made a movie for us. It's Joel Kinneman plays, like, a DEA agent who has to, like, go over undercover in prison. And then Rosamund Pike is wearing, like, a teal Nike tracksuit and plays an FBI agent who's, like, kind of running go him. On. And it's just, like, basically, like, Den of Thieves, y- you know... So this is like classic January, February genre movie release. Sean and I were like, Friday afternoon, you and I, we're going to go get uh, subs at this restaurant, at this sandwich place on La Brea. And then we were going to go catatonic and go in to see The Informer, and we're the only two people who are going to go see it. And straight up, Sean was just like, I just looked up Showtimes for The Informer, which was being released, like, two Fridays ago, and he's like, it is not playing in Los Angeles. And I guess, like, (laughs) the company that's releasing it is in financial disrepair or something, maybe, so it just kind of vanished. This is happening again where I'm like, I went and saw the new Guy Ritchie movie, um... Gentleman last night. And as I was watching it, I was like, I can't believe this is actually a thing that is happening. Uh, I mean, uh, for people who don't know, it's the new Guy Ritchie movie that's kind of a return to his snatch rock and roll a lock stock and two smoking barrels form. And it stars, um, gosh, it stars so many people. It stars Matthew McConaughey as a weed dealer, as a weed like sort of emperor. More than that, he runs all of pot in London or in England. Hugh Grant plays a slimeball private investigator who works for a Daily Mail-style tabloid. Uh, Colin Farrell plays an Irish boxing coach who seems to be dressed exclusively (laughs) in Red Bull Salzburg (laughs) tracksuits. And Michelle Dockery plays a Cockney gangster mall who also owns a car detailing shop that caters exclusively to the wives and girlfriends of, like, gangsters and that's a movie that is is real and it exists and it's coming out. Also Jeremy Strong is in it and Charlie Hunnam is in it. It's it's quite an experience, but uh, it's one of those things where you're just like am i imagining that this is happening or did they actually spend 45 million dollars on this?
2: I do wonder if we could ever have a moment to slow down and like compile a list of fake projects both real and fictional and quiz us on them like how we would do. And part of it I mean Guy Ritchie making that movie after ha- have spending 5 years of his adult life making a live action Aladdin, I get it. Yeah. That seems like a logical pendulum swing. But the like the idea of there being a, you know, whether it's a You and McGregor uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show or any of those Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows that are coming over the next year plus Or or even this Picard show as like an adult prestige drama with Patrick Stewart nearly at age 80 returning to play the character. There was a moment that we didn't even mark or notice unless there was a podcast where we specifically marked and noticed it. Maybe the one where I talked about Picard before. I don't remember. (laughs) But this is the stuff. I mean, there's two tiers to this new entertainment paradigm. Like 20 years ago, or I guess 21 years ago, right before X-Men, the X-Men movie came out, the idea of there being movies based on the most popular comic book characters of all time still felt ridiculous and impossible. Like, Tim Burton's Batman had done it, and then they had screwed it up with the Joel Schumacher sequels, and so there were no more superheroes, and that was never going to happen. Right. So, that accepting that all of a sudden, not only were those things going to happen, but they were going to become the predominant, whatever, entertainment of our time, that was one big leap. But now we get into these second tier projects that feel fully birthed from the brains of just people who go to conventions. Yes. Is wild. Because all, there were these stumbling blocks, all of which have fallen, right? Whether they were stumbling blocks of budget, certainly to do things for television, where there were stumbling blocks of stature, where if you were a movie star and you had played a part in a movie, you wouldn't play it again. And you certainly wouldn't play it again for television. Sure. Right? Sure. All of that's gone out of the window and and part of it is the shifting paradigms. A lot of it is just money, you know I think I think probably twenty years ago movie stars would have been perfectly happy to be on TV shows if they had been paid the exact same rate they get paid for movies. Um, but the degree and the speed to which it happened, so that you know here we are just named casually name dropping projects that probably would have Taken up an entire podcast from the two of us six years ago. Oh, yeah. It's pretty remarkable.
1: I do think that we're gonna probably have to start a binge mode for the Peterberg film Spencer Confidential. <laughs> Just because uh, where are you with this? Well, okay, so it's it stars Mark Wahlberg and Winston Duke. It's coming out in like two weeks on Netflix. And mm-hmm. it's a obviously it's a take on, I think it's Robert Parker's Spencer novels. And there was used to be Spencer for Hire back in the 80s with uh, Robert Ulrich. Uh, but the thing that and, jumped and, out at, do you
2: remember, do you remember the, the short lived spinoff, call me Hawk? Yeah, man, man, that called was, Hawk? that
1: show was dope. <laughs> I yeah, watched that, but this one, this oh, supporting, oh wait, I'm
2: sorry, Chris, you had time to watch Spencer for hire spinoff between your busy schedule of literally competitive swimming and cruising.
1: I made traveling all-stars before guys started throwing off speed stuff. I'll have you know that I was a real prospect. When everybody was Probably. five four, you know, I was like <laughs> I was like really like a, a giant among small people there. So until when they started throwing curveballs, I lost my ability to hit.
2: What a legendary way to say you two were also five four. That was amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but do you know who the supporting cast is for this Spencer movie that the Bird Let, has? Let's talk about it. Marin. <laughs> right. Mark Marin, Alan Arkin, and Eliza Great. Schlesinger playing essentially that Saturday Night Live character who's like the wife of the boxer who's like, I'm going to take my kids to my sisters. <laughs> it's incredible stuff. Hollywood, man. You I, guys are just the dream factory. I have
2: a lot of time for Mark Marin, character actor. I'm a big fan.
1: Uh, Greenwald, do you have anything else you want to hit before we sign off for the week?
2: God, are we signing off for the week?
1: Well, I mean, if you have time, we can just keep chatting. Whatever you want to do. I don't think so.
2: Um. No, I haven't watched Curb yet. Anything else happen?
1: No, not really. Did you see anything else that happened, Kaya? That you were like, man, if I only had Chris and Andy to talk about this?
0: My life has been consumed by cheer. <laughs> okay. It's all I care about right now.
1: Okay, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a letter of a recommendation from Kaya McMullen about this. All right, so Andy, we can wrap it.
2: I do love talking to you from this parking lot. I got to tell you, the temperature here is divine today, but I do have to go sit in a dark room and watch the sixth episode of my show on mute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really it's really something else. All right, well, just just a final thing. I know you got, you're going to keep recording do some other conversation but without me, but if you haven't signed up for this thing on Tuesday, if you're LA at Jace, we would love to see you. I think it's going to be great. Excited to share the show with you guys first. Absolutely. anyone else. And uh, hope to see you guys there, Baranskis.
1: Yeah, see you guys soon, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Bank United. Bank United wants you to go for more. Enter for a chance to win $54,000 if a team goes for and completes a two-point conversion during the big game on February 2nd. All you have to do is follow at Bank United on Twitter and tweet at Bank United your answer to what would you do with $54,000 using the hashtag GoForMore54. For official rules, visit www.goformore54.com. That's goformore and the number 54.com. Bank United N.A. member FDIC. Neither Twitter nor the NFL entities have offered, administered, endorsed, or sponsored this sweepstakes in any way. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by The Real Real own iconic luxury items at unreal value with the Real Real, the leading reseller of authenticated luxury consignment from top designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. Shop and consign women's and men's luxury fashion and streetwear as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home. New arrivals come in daily and every item undergoes the Real Real's meticulous authentication process. In fact, the Real Real employs over 100 plus brand specialists, gemologists, horologists, and art curators from around the globe who inspect thousands of items each day to ensure that every item is authenticated shop luxury the sustainable way go online download the app or visit one of their stores in soho west hollywood or in the newest location at 870 madison avenue in new york Consigners, try out the real reels white glove service for free in-home pickup today Shop in-store, online, or download the app and get 20% off select items with the promo code REAL. That's realreal.com promo code REAL, for 20% off select items. Alright guys, welcome back to The Watch. I am here with producer Kaya. Kaya, say hello. Hello. And Kaya, who you may know from uh, all of the advertisements she does for cruise control in American Cars... Um, you may no have comment. seen her zooming down the five. Why do you keep saying no comment? This is not because, a rant contra.
0: <laughs> you're trying to make cruise control like my brand or something. Okay, what
1: would you like to be your brand? Cheering, cheer. perhaps? Cheer. I bet. Yes, like, so that was my segue. Kai is here to talk about cheer. But we're going to have a little bit of a broader discussion about the reality TV moment because I am a little bit of a stranger in a strange land when it comes to reality TV. But I think, Kaya, you, you're a little bit more of like a that's your go-to sometimes, right?
0: Sometimes. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a reality TV fanatic. I have a few shows that I really enjoy, but I'm not the type that every, like, I'm not like every single show on Bravo I have to watch. But you
1: know what I kind of like about reality television is that it's the last bastion of like real personal taste. Like for narrative TV, for scripted stuff, you feel this kind of pressure to, keep up with the Joneses and watch the big shows and watch the critically acclaimed shows. And oh, I gotta I gotta keep up on Watchmen. I gotta keep up on this. But with reality, it's like you just look at Steven Soderbergh's media diary from 2019. <laughs> he's just like, I just watch below deck every night, dog. And I also watch four classic films. But like that guy puts down more below deck than any other human being who is not on below deck.
0: More or less the thing about reality TV is that more or less it's pure pleasure watching. Yes. You're not watching because you are like, Oh, I want to see this new like experimental style of filming, or I wanna see David Fincher on TV or et cetera, et cetera. You're watching because you're like, This is like true crime, or this is people getting in fights, or this is people on yachts.
1: People trapped somewhere getting in fights and having true crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I uh, Now, so my reality television tastes stretch from a lot of Alaskan Gold Rush TV. I find <laughs> to be really weirdly, uh, although I, I I it's I think it's called just Gold Rush or whatever. And I got really into a couple of the characters, mm-hmm. but I had a real oh my god when I I watched them like dig up some part of the Alaskan tundra and I was like oh I wonder if he's going to find the enough kilograms to make it through winter. And I was like, holy shit, he's just tearing a hole in Mother Earth. Like, it was like the real, like, environmental impact of it really hit me. Oh, wow. And I felt, like, very complicit. Do you think that that's, (laughs) like— Do you ever have those feelings when you're watching reality television where you're enjoying it, enjoying it, enjoying it, and then it's almost like a drug wears off?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get that with Vanderpump a lot. Like, and I think I've mentioned this before, that when I started binging Vanderpump Rules to catch up with everything, it was, like, the first episode, great. The second episode, great, and then by the third, you get to the third episode, and you're like, oh my god, I kind of have like a headache. And yeah, it feels my like shooting you
1: cheese whiz like, into my carotid artery. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. It feels like you're coming down off of like a sugar rush, because it's just there's n- very very little substance, and that's not true for all reality TV, but for a lot of it, there is.
1: Yeah, and in some ways, I think a lot of the like the discourse and dialogue and writing and podcasting about reality television, it's it kind of is like in some ways more interesting than sometimes like criticism of scripted shows because there is so much of like of an open-ended read like there are some people who see Vanderpump as Shakespearean there are some people who think of it as just like a, basically a sitcom right
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: how do you watch it
0: uh more of a sitcom yeah though I could see the Shakespearean elements <laughs> I
1: guess yeah Sure, I'm sure the the bard has written characters like Jacks before. I guess he would be like in Henry the Fourth, Part Two. was like, uh, who's the 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 drunk guy who's always t- hanging out with the prince in Henry the Fourth?
0: Did you really just ask me a question about Shakespeare?
1: Well, you don't want to be the cruise control person, and you don't want to be the literary classics person. You just have to tell me who you are. Okay, so Kaya, I kept asking today. You know, the 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 day shook out funny, so I kept asking Kaya, like, what would you want to talk about? And it's just like, cheer, like. It, it, almost like a bot. I basically invited Twitter.
0: myself on to talk about Cheer. It's because- okay.
1: I, I This is a show for passions, and uh, you have as much of a voice of this show as anyone. So you have the floor. Tell me why Cheer on Netflix is amazing. First, tell me a little bit about what it is, and then tell me why you love it.
0: Okay, so Cheer is a six-part docuseries that premiered on Netflix. I'm actually coming a little bit late to it. I think it premiered at the beginning of January. And there were, I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about it, and they're like, oh, my God, this is so good. This is so good. Reese Witherspoon tweeted about it. Never heard of her. <laughs> uh, and so it follows a college-level cheerleading team out of Corsicana, Texas. Okay. And they're, from, they're not like a four-year college. It's like a junior college, and it's called Navarro College. And they are essentially basically the best college cheerleading team in the country. And so, and they go and they compete every year in, like, this national cheerleading competition. I think it's, like, basically, like, what's the fo- college football championship called?
1: The, like, the Rose Bowl, you mean? Like, you mean, like, like the name of the bowl? Oh, it's sure. just, like, the it's national like the, college football Yeah, it's just, yeah. like,
0: the, they compete for a national title. And And the interesting part about it is that... After college level cheerleading, there is no like professional cheerleading. You know, so it's like it's not like these kids could go on afterwards and be like, I'm going to be a pro cheerleader. Like you could go and play college football, college sure. and go be a pro football player. So it's like for a lot of these people, this is their last chance to compete in the sport they love.
1: Literally like like and there is like a other very popular um
0: last chance you. That's right. My coworker Craig a fellow prod producer, was also telling me about that show today. Yes. And I was telling him that normally I wouldn't be interested in it, but because I love Cheer so much, I think I'm going to go watch it after. That's how good this show is. Oh,
1: my God. There's like eight seasons of Last Chance You, aren't there?
0: Great. Sounds good. Okay. (laughs) but So, okay. Back to Cheer. It's following the Navarro College cheerleading team as they prepare for the 2019 competition, basically. And... It's really, really intense. It kind of focuses on like six main people, three girls and like three guys. Mm -hmm. And it's really intense and it's really emotional and it's really... Oh, and the coach who I want to be my mom now.
1: (laughs) What's the coach like?
0: So the coach's name is Monica Aldama. Mm -hmm. And basically she's this woman and she grew up in Corsicana And she was planning on going— She was like, I want to go into, like, Wall Street and work on Wall Street in New York when she was, like, a kid. And so she went to UT, and she got her finance degree, and she got her MBA, and she was planning to go work on Wall Street. And then one of her friends was like, hey, I need someone to fill in and come coach this cheerleading team. And she had been a cheerleader growing up. And she's like, okay, sure, I'll do that for a little bit, and then, like, I'm going to go work on Wall Street. And then she basically was like— Loved it so much that she just stayed. And now she is like this really, like really, really talented cheerleading coach um, who basically like is no bullshit and is like really has an insane amount of attention to detail Uh and also often fills in as like a substitute mother figure or like mentor for a lot of these kids who if it wasn't for cheerleading, probably wouldn't be in college at all.
1: Do you feel like the drama of the show is derived mostly from the extra cheering aspects, like who people are dating or whether they've twisted their ankle or whether or not, like, they're going to be able to, like, make tuition and stuff? Or is it, like, very much, like, what happens in the gym that's exciting?
0: Yeah, no, actually, that's a great question because there's really, really no personal drama. whatsoever, oh, like, interpersonal drama whatsoever. It's all, I would say, like, of the show is literally them in the gym on mat, as they say, (laughs) and trying to get this routine down. And like even like I was watching last night and I think this is around like episode five and this isn't a spoiler, though I don't really know if you can spoil the show, but like it seems like there's some drama between like one of the flyers and one of the stunters after he like accidentally drops her so and so. And they go in and off to the side and, like, go and, like, talk. And then the uh, you can hear a producer ask them, hey, can we film this? And say, they say, no, it's private. Oh. And they shut the door.
1: Interesting. So the, yeah,
0: they really there's really not a lot of focus on interpersonal drama at all.
1: So it's like the anti-Friday Night Lights. It's like Friday Night Lights if it was all football.
0: Yes, okay. exactly. Um, exactly.
1: Are you somebody who cared about cheering before you watched Cheer?
0: Um, a little bit. Like, was
1: it in your high school? Like,
0: yeah, there was a cheer team at my high school. My younger sister was a cheerleader. Uh, actually, the coach in cheer reminds me of the coach at my, of my high school's cheerleading team. Okay. And my sister, my younger sister, actually tore her ACL
1: cheerleading. Oh my God.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a really gnarly sport. Like, there, and one of the like facts pointed out of the show is that more injuries come from cheerleading than any other sport. Hmm. And you really, watching the show, you really realize the physicality of the sport and just how dangerous it is because you see these people, it's like you just see these guys and girls like throwing the flyers who are most often uh, small women Uh up into the air and like they're going like 10 feet into the air and they're spinning. And then you keep, you see them get dropped over and over again and you're like, oh my God, like. They just fell like 20 feet in the air like, sure. onto a, basically like a slightly padded mat. And every single time they're like, they're trying to build a pyramid basically as part of their routine. And every single time they're trying to build their pyramid, you're just like sitting there with your like fist clenched and your teeth clenched. Like, be, like, don't drop them, don't drop them, don't drop them.
1: Was there something about Cheer that made it so intoxicating because you could just keep watching it? Because this obviously is a Netflix release. Uh, so it's one of those things where it's like, I watched my wife completely give her life over to the circle recently. <laughs> now I, I like, I definitely got it. Like, I think that I was like a little bit more, I don't know if like alarmed at the content of the circle. I was like, just sort of like, this is ingenious and way too 21st century for right. me. Uh, but like, what do you think that part of it was like the, the binge, the binge watch for, for cheer?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, let's see, I started Cheer, I think, Monday night of this week, and it's now Thursday night, and I'm almost done. And I haven't been watching episode by episode. I've been, like, leaving off in the middle of an episode and then watching, like, an episode of and a half. Okay. And then coming back to it.
1: The Andy Greenwald Irishman plan, then.
0: (laughs) Exactly. The uh, six-hour movie plan. (laughs) (laughs) But then, yeah, something as far as the circle goes, uh, I couldn't get into it. I watched, like, five minutes of the first episode, and I think the first two people they showed were just, like, way too, I don't know. Extra? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it
1: just— I think I'm just, like, a little, like—this is going to sound stranger than I mean to sound like—catfishing is not my bag. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I think it's bad— It's not something that I like really want to even know more about than I do. I never watched Catfish. It just seems like every time you read a catfishing story, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a couple of characters on on the circle that are, are not catfishing per se, but are, you know, the whole premise is like, is this person who they say they are?
0: Right, and you're trying to judge, from my understanding, you're trying to judge this person's character via their social media. Yeah, without- I guess we
1: should say is, like, The Circle, if you haven't seen it, is essentially this reality show that Netflix put out, and I think they put it out and, like, they would release, like, a couple of episodes a week, and it was a Big Brother-style show, reality show, where these people are living in, an, like, what well, looks like an apartment building in Los Angeles. I'm not sure where they shot it. And they're essentially, like, detectives and— they're like both the hunted and the prey. So, like, they're both trying to investigate and also obfuscate about who they are and who other people are. And they do this by communicating through, largely, like, a kind of, like, uh, like TV. It's like a
0: voice messaging It is, system. like, it's basically
1: Siri. It's, like, you're just saying, like, message to all people. Here's, like, I'm asking everybody who's in this apartment building this question. And then you would start to, like single out certain people and be like, "Hey Alana, like, why don't you tell me about like the funniest thing you've ever done on a first date?" And the whole time they're kind of like trying to address whether or not this person is who they say they are or whether they're going to have like alliances. It's there's nothing like new about it other than the the feeling that like the people who are on the show are so fluent in a very digital way of communicating mm-hmm. that that almost freaked me out as much as ever anything.
0: Yeah, I think that was also another one of my like reluctancies about Watching because it just struck me as like a Black Mirror episode, like come to life. Yes.
1: Yeah. And it's and... like, it's sometimes it's fun to be like, oh, wow, it's like Black Mirror. And then there are sometimes we're like, uh, <laughs> oh,
0: wow, this is like Black Mirror. We didn't really take
1: the, mi- the lessons we were supposed <laughs> to take from Black Mirror. Yeah, maybe. Uh, all right. So we have we have very much recommended Cheer on behalf of Kaya McMullen. We recommend, with some reservations, the circle on beha- behalf of, I guess, me. I won't put you there, my wife. <laughs> Uh and Juliette
0: Littman loves it. Littman Circle. loves it.
1: I mean, people really like it around the office. They're like, I, this it's a very addictive show. And, and uh, then what
0: was interesting about that was Netflix released it in batches, right? Yes.
1: It was it was an interesting gambit on their part because I think what a lot of people are wondering is if Netflix will try because I think Netflix has very good shows that get lost because of the binge. The binge model is like a little bit under fire from the TV intellectual bubble by which I mean people who think and talk about television on social media I think are increasingly ignoring some Netflix shows because they come and go they all go up on a Friday the people who are super into the society or whatever or Messiah or what have you are watching it but it's impossible to like dole out sort of content and takes and reviews and discussions about it because you never know where people are in a season and we've seen this sort of almost whiplash effect where now I feel like people are much more into at least the Hulu model where things go up. Uh, there's a couple of episodes and then it's week to week after that. If not the HBO model, which is this once a week appointment viewing where at least, you know, you may be behind on The Outsider, but people aren't that much farther ahead of you than the on The Outsider. You right. know what I mean? And I think that that's been kind of the challenge of of capturing, uh, capturing the zeitgeist for these Netflix shows. But the problem is, is that as we say over and over again, I don't know that Netflix is necessarily in the zeitgeist business. They seem to be really interested in it when it comes to movies. They seem to be fine with The Crown being an awards hit, if not, like, it's very hard to, like, know if people have seen episode six of The Crown and whether you can talk about it, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't know if people have seen episode three. So, you know, we try to dole it out episode by episode or, or in little chapters. But I almost feel like the circle thing was, like, the first volley in, like, let's experiment with different ways to put shows out.
0: I think it paid off well for them. There's I think a did. lot of conversation about that there show. There sure
1: was. There sure was. I mean, it was wow. trending. Yeah, it, was, it certainly did what it was supposed to do. Okay, Kaya, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, we will be back next week. I will be in Sundance, so I'm going to be recording over the weekend with some folks who are in Sundance, and I'll try to do, like, a, an outsider recap, and we'll have some fun guests over the weekend, and then Greenwald and I will be back next Thursday, so... Fun week of The Watch. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.